What's up, Danielle? <laughs> Nothing. How you doing? I'm good. That's good. Thanks for agreeing to come in and share your story. Yeah, absolutely. I love things like this. Any way to get it out, you know? Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, let's just jump right into it. So uh, where are you from originally? I grew up in Medford. Uh, so I don't know. It was I guess you could call it a rich is rich type of town. Nice area. Grew up on a horse farm. Went to Catholic school there. It was a decent, decent way to grow up for sure. Okay. And uh, so, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Uh, so I am the youngest of five. Um, good parents, great mom. Dad was a very hard worker. Spent majority of his time. With his, with his horses. He's a horse trainer. Uh, grew up on a horse farm, 105 acres. Had pretty much anything we needed or wanted at our disposal because we had so, so many acres and my dad was a very busy man and my mom could only handle so many kids at once. So spent a lot of our time outside with each other. Uh, good upbringing. I mean, Put me in Catholic school, which at the time I hated, but now I'm grateful for. Um, wasn't a fan of school, though. Was a fan of socializing. That's where you see everybody every day. And, you know, being secluded on a horse farm, it's nice to see people outside of your family. So that was a big thing every day. Although once I got to a certain age, absences were a big thing as well, because sleeping was more important than going to school. Uh, but I mean, I've got great brothers, great sister. I mean, we all had our basic things growing up, you know, stealing each other's stuff and fighting and telling on each other. But we, uh, we've we always been really tight. Uh, my parents lost my brother to a drowning accident right before I was born. I was actually the child that was born after it. They told the the doctor told them to wait a couple years. So uh, they waited about two years and had me. My sister was a baby at the time. So it was my, he would have been the third brother. He was a two-year-old, wandered into the pool area and ended up falling in trying to fill up his water gun. So there was like this heavy cloud up like when I was born and I didn't know it, but like I always, I knew of him and the stories were great, but you could tell either time my parents talked about him. It was like, it was a lot. So they were very, um, they both put a lot into me because I was, you know, the child after that whole traumatic experience. Uh, named me after my dad. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a lot for my family for sure. Everybody experienced something. My sister was, was really young, but she, she went through the same Heaviness as me is like there's something like the weight of it that you can't really understand, but you, you feel it. Um, but I mean, in spite of that, like I had a decent life. Like growing growing up, my parents did a, a pretty good job, especially my mom. My mom is one of those moms that you, you literally have no idea to this day, being a parent myself, how she did it all. None. Can't fathom it. So. But all in all, good, good childhood. Grateful for it. And uh, 
What kind of kid were you in high school? I was whatever was convenient at the time, I guess you could say. At first, I was really, I was really into sports. Uh, my sister and I are three years apart. We played the same sports growing up, basketball and softball. Um, I was really talented with both. And even though she's three years older than me and she was always in a higher league, I got bumped up by the, uh, the township because I was like remarkably better than the kids my age and it like wasn't fair. And it sounds like cocky, but it's the truth. Um, so my sister hated it. Oh, she hated it. Her little sister was on every, like every team. And, but she was, she was good, man. My sister was good at everything too. Um, but I, I got into high school. Uh, I went Catholic school up until six. Then I was the only kid out of everybody, which everybody was jealous of, that got to go to public. I, I mean, I put work in. I talked to my parents. Like, I had like basically a PowerPoint presentation of why I should be going to public and how it has like better opportunities for me in sports. So they let me go. Then I went back to, back to Catholic with my sister at Holy Cross uh, freshman year. Then realized I can't go back. Like I need my, I, I prefer public school. So I went back over to public school in Medford. And that year was kind of the year everything took off with uh, partying and like discovering things and uh, how certain situations that I got myself into made it easier to be what I thought was myself. Um, I was always like, I was, humor is like a defense mechanism in my family. Like we use it lovingly, um, we're very sarcastic and we kind of use that to go back and forth with insults, love and whatever form, as long as it can be humorous, like that's what we do. So it was really easy to be friends with everybody. And uh, I never, I was never like, uh, like, you know, oh, like, you, you put too much work into school, like, we're not going to hang out. There was no, everybody was, you know what I mean, the same to me. And honestly, like, my thing in high school was smoking pot. And, like, when you smoke pot, everybody's your friend. You know what I mean? So, like, high school for me was actually, it's sad to say, but it was one of those, like, best times of my life because it was, just, it was like, very carefree and... At the same time, like, I had everything I needed. So it, it was good for the most part. It was good. Maybe not to my parents, but it was good for me. So do you remember the first time you ever tried drugs? So it depends what cal caliber of drugs we're talking about. If we're, we're talking about your basics, like, universally, um, Weed and alcohol, I think the first time I tried either one was fifth or sixth grade. It, I grew up very fast, like physically. So by the time I hit fourth grade, I looked like a full-blown teenager. Height and body, it was, it's, it's not, I'm like hoping my daughters don't go the same route. But uh, so I, I wanted like my mental to catch up with my physical. And obviously it wasn't there, but I thought if I did what people in my sister's age group were doing, then that would make me older. So I tried alcohol, I tried weed, um, but I wasn't like everybody else. I couldn't just 
try it and move on, it became, it slowly became like a routine thing as I grew up from that, that point on. I mean, it was like very spread out at that time because I was so young because like, you know, it's not accessible. It was only when my sister allowed me to hang out with her age group or like I made friends through her age group. They want, you know, they wanted to be around me then I had access to things. But at that time there was no like, uh, I didn't need anything yet, but I wanted it because it, it helped me like acclimate, you know what I mean? The things that I wasn't familiar with or comfortable in yet, it made me comfortable without trying. And like it, it helped my like brain figure out or whatever you could say. But I guess older, like cocaine was 15. Specifically remember it. Um, it was, it was weird. It was, I had sniffed a line of coke and I was at my, one of my best friends growing up. She lived like a half a mile to three quarters of a mile down the road from my mom's house across Medford and did a line and I walked home. I walked home so fast. I was clear-minded. I was like just ready to take on the rest of the day. And it was like, you know, halfway through the day already, but it was like literally having, like finishing a cup of coffee now. It was like 10 times the amount of that, maybe a hundred. But it was just such a like upbeat feeling that I instantly, instantly fell in love with it. It was, I, I must have known something, something was wrong because of how quickly like I fell in love with it. But uh, from that moment on, sports went completely down the hill, like downhill. Like anytime I could get coke, I'd pick that over practicing or giving it like any effort to what I used to enjoy before I found what I found. So did your, did your parents or your family know that this was going on at this time? Because you say you're about 15, right? No. Uh, I was your typical, like, female teenager, you know what I mean? Anytime mom would try to ask me anything, it was like she was so nosy. And, you know, I just, like, pushed her out. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was really bad at hiding. And at the same time, at the same time, I was prescribed to Adderall medication, so it like kind of mirrored the same thing. Just cocaine was more instantaneous and just like a, a obviously a stronger thing for me. Um, but I could I could hide that like certain things like smoking weed and stuff I couldn't hide. Obviously, my eyes were always shot out, and um, but my dad was always too busy, you know, um, and. It, to be honest with you, like I said, he was always a great provider. Anything I asked him for, he gave me. So I would make up things when I needed needed to get coke because it's not cheap. It was never cheap. And when I need money, I'd tell him, oh, a friend of mine has a birthday. Can I get him something? He'd, he'd give me $100, $200. 15-year-old getting $100, $200 every, like once a week is not normal. But you don't process that as a parent when you know, you, you really haven't r run into those issues, like, issues with any other kids. So uh, dad didn't notice. I think my mom was just tired. I was the fifth, you know? It's like all those, like, warning signs weren't super obvious just because she was, she was getting just getting through the days, you know? So I'm not really sure if they could tell, but most likely not. I mean, I mastered the art of 
you know, manipulation and, and hiding things immediately. It was like an art. So probably not. So you started out from there where, you, where cocaine was kind of like your regular, what you started using regularly more so. Mm -hmm. And then, so at the height of your drug use, what, what was your drug of choice? My drug of choice uh, was heroin. I, uh, so it was summer after uh, high school. I was a freshman at BCC when they still had Pemberton. And uh, I was like a month and a half into the semester and I was seeing this older guy. He was in my English 101 class. He was in his early 20s and I was only 18. And um, we would, like we would, ha that's where we met. We would hang out like after school and after classes and stuff. And we got drinking a lot together. Anytime drinking and smoking like was the regular. Um, and I was at his house one night. I was completely wasted. And from the from the rip, when I started getting like like drunk beyond recognition, I always get angry. So we ended up fighting and about something stupid. And I grabbed my keys and I left. And I ended up wrapping myself around a tree going 76. And I only know that because the speedometer stopped at that. And I woke up in the hospital like five weeks later from a coma, I had like nine broken bones, three compound fractures. And then after like a month or so in the hospital, I had to go over to a physical rehab to learn how to like walk again and breathe on my own again because I had a trach and it's all this stuff that happened off that choice, but I was on a lot of pain medication, like a lot. At first it was IV, uh, Dilaudid and fentanyl in the hospital, and then they moved me over to Vicodin and uh, Percocet at the rehab. And the doctor even said to me, listen, you know, it's 2006, 2007, we're aware that this stuff is addictive, but I'm not like everybody else apparently, you know what I mean? In my brain, I'm not gonna get addicted, I just need it to not feel the pain. But it took a lot of the heaviness that I felt off of because like I put my family through a lot. My mom and sister both would sleep at the hospital until I woke up, you know what I mean? They they took off time from work. They were both teachers. They took leaves, leaves of absence. Uh, my mom was so worried. She lost so much weight when I was in the hospital. And it was it was just like a, it was like really messed up. I still feel like that. Like we still, it's been 16, 17 years and my mom still cries talking about it and I cry because of the way I made her feel. But uh, the opiates was like, was it for me. That opened a, opened a door that I never wanted to close. You know what I mean? I, I figured what I went through justifies me to do this for the rest of my life. Like, uh, no doctor's gonna say no because half my body's titanium. You know what I mean? Like I, I have the golden ticket forever, so I'm not gonna run out and hear like learn about withdrawal or whatever. But I did, and then I learned about heroin, and it it took off like a I, don't, I couldn't even tell you like a balloon, like when you let go and it goes in the air and loses air. It was wild. It was uh. It was the longest 
and shortest period in my life because it felt like five minutes, but it, my addiction to heroin was 10 years long. And I had no idea it was that long because when you're in it, time doesn't exist. So that was, heroin was my, uh, my biggest. Do you remember the, the first time you tried it? Because you said that you started out on opiates, right? Because mm -hmm. of the pain medication, because of your accident. So how did it go from there to actually doing, doing heroin? So the first time I ever tried it, it didn't, it actually didn't stick. If I think about it, it didn't stick until maybe a few months later because I was also, I was prescribed to a lot of things, Xanax, Klonopin, and opiates, and Adderall, which are all counter-effective or, and then some go together to where it's like, it's no good, it just like erases your, like erases your memory. Um, but I tried it with a friend. He's actually dead now. Uh, first time he, he actually shot me up. Um, and I woke up, we were both knotted out on the side of, I want to say it was Route 30 or Admiral Wilson Boulevard. And I had no idea about anything. We got woken up by the cops. They didn't arrest us. They impounded the car though. And like, I kind of let all that it was like the first and only time that like I saw the consequences for what it was and was like, that's probably not a good idea. But then it didn't take much longer for me to, to like look for it on my own. And I did, and I succeeded at finding it. So I, uh, I can't at the moment remember the next time. I just, I just remember it becoming an everyday multiple times a day situation that stood in the way of everything else I had to do. So, the first time you tried it, you, you shot up the first time you tried it? I did. I let somebody else do it to me because I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know about anything. For like prior to that, anything that I've done would go up my nose, you know what I mean? That's pretty easy to catch on to. The whole uh, needle and syringe thing, it was, it was like, you know, fear of the unknown. You don't know about it, so you're like scared of it, but then someone does it for you, it makes it look so easy. And, you know, once you get, you feel the effects of what's going in your body, you don't care what you have to learn or do to feel that again. So it was like a quick, I'm a quick learner anyway, though. So the first time, though, yeah, which is weird. A lot of people, first time they tried heroin, they're like, oh, I snorted it, and then it worked its way up. No, I just skipped all that and let them go full throttle, you know, the first time I picked it up. So what was going on in your life at this period of time? So... That period of time, I had my own place. I was 21. Um, I had just gotten access to my trust fund. Uh, so I didn't need a job at the moment. I had, you know, flow of income. Uh, my dad noticed because I had to, he had to co-sign a lot of my checks to, to cash out of my trust fund. 
and he was so worried. He didn't know, nobody knew it was as bad as it was. They all thought it was pills because that's easier to understand. Um, but it was, the accident was crazy. Like, uh, the, like the physical impact of everything, like I still don't walk right, I'll, I'll never walk right. Um, I was, I'll basically, like on paper and black and white, like I have a disability, right? And uh, when you're when you're in your early 20s, like that, that's cr like soul crushing. Like you're different. You will always be different. I brought it on myself. Today I have no problem saying that, but then at that point in time, the world did this to me, you know what I mean? Uh, nobody could ever understand what I was going through, how I felt, and I just, it was just, it was justifiable. Like, what I was doing was a way for me to heal in my own sick way, so I had the right to do it. And this money was meant for me, I don't care who gave it to me, it's mine, and I'll spend it how I want, so. That's what I did. How are you? How are you feeling emotionally at that time? You know, I really I can't even put a an actual feeling on it because I was so fucked up. I was. I don't think I was ever consistently sober, or like not under the influence. Majority of that time. Because whether it was like, you know, I needed it for like pain reasons or whatever, it just wasn't a clear mind. Like, uh, like the way I am today, there's, I have no recollection of my brain ever feeling this clear in my 20s, all of my 20s. So, and like the problem is when I didn't have access to the drugs, like alcohol was a huge part of how I got to where I got because that was filling in blanks, like the times that I couldn't get stuff. I always went to alcohol. So, and like, you can't take pills with alcohol. It intensifies it by so much, but I did it all the time. So like a lot of, a lot of my memories are like, not there. So it, it sucks to, I just, when I, when I think about that time, I just regret, because I have no recollection of it. You know what I mean? I have bits and pieces, like my my daughter being born and, you know, like time leading up to that. But I just know I caused a lot of pain. My sister, my mom, I'm sure my dad too. But it's, uh, it's like not fun to think about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you know there was damage done, you just can't re remember the details of it. And that's, that's gnarly, dude. I can't, it's hard to think about. During that time, did you, did you realize that you had a problem? Like, I know you were saying how, you know, you, all these things happened to you. And so, like, your use was justified. Right. But was there somewhere, like, deep down inside where you were like, yo, like, this, this is crazy. But you just, you just couldn't stop. Mm -mm. I, like I said, any time thoughts like that crossed my mind, I justified the hell out of it. Like, uh, this is why they have this medication for people like me. And then, um, you know, 
oh, like heroin's close to fentanyl and Dilaudid, and that's what they would give me if I was in the hospital right now. And so it was a lot of uh, a lot of that. And um, I just didn't want to hear any. If you were to confront me about my behavior and my actions, or like how they affect anybody, uh, I disappear. You know what I mean? I would re remove myself from that conversation, situation, and um, it led to like a really bad habit of that. Like I picked and choose, like picked and chose like family events I I would uh, I would go to because I didn't want to I don't want to hear it. If somebody was going to be there that I know for a fact I'd hear a speech from, mm -mm. but then if I had somebody that was going to be there, that was going to be able to give me money or a ride or something beneficial, I would weigh. You know what I mean? The good and the bad of having like if I put up with this, I can get this. Everything was uh, manipulated and like thought out and processed, but at the same time not thought out and just. I, you know, it's it's hard to explain, but um, I forget the question now. <laughs> well, how how was that? Uh, like, your how was it when? So I'm assuming that your family, you know, confronted you, you know, maybe over over this like a couple of times. How was that? Like when you know they would say something to you or. My sister, it was always an insult, always. It's, just, it's still like that. Without anything I do, it's an insulting confrontation or like, you know, not, not necessarily to make me feel horrible, but it's more like a, a jab, which is, I have 35 years experience with her, so, you know, I figured her out now. But uh, mom, it was always like guilt. Um, my dad... It was always uh, it was a form of guilt. Like you're gonna you're gonna kill me. I'm not gonna be here one day. Is this what you want to be doing? And I'm not gonna be here to you know bail you out because he he did a lot, paid for lawyers, bailed me out from getting locked up um, for stupid stuff. And um, it didn't it didn't change like uh, as far as my my family like uh, my brother from New York. He was always worried about me when he came down and saw me. Like, oh, you're getting skinny. Like, are you eating? Um, you have to eat. Like, he still always thought it was just pills. Um, my, for some reason, though, when my brother Joey came home, because uh, my dad was having health issues, and he came home, saw me in my con condition. I was staying with my dad, like, temporarily, and I was on maintenance methadone maintenance. And he was like, dude, you look horrible. Like, this is not, you have no color in your face. This is not you. Like, you have no color in your eyes. Um, for some reason, when he said all this to me, I that's when I finally agreed to go to treatment for the very last time. But he he's never home. So I could live my life and not have the very last piece of the puzzle giving me a lecture as well. So I think it was like the last, the last sibling and the last lecture had finally hit. But everybody else, I feel horrible for because it's like anything they said never affected me. 
it just gave me more motivation to get high so I could erase how I felt. Because it's still emotion, it made me feel horrible. So what do you do when you're in the midst of addiction? You just keep getting high till you don't feel anything. Then you don't have to worry about it. And that's what I did for years and years. So prior to, you know, your brother saying that and, and kind of making you think, you know, maybe it is time to make a change. Do you feel or do you, was there a point where you were like, feeling like you were at rock bottom, like you felt like inside something has to change? Um, so I had my daughter in the middle of everything. Uh, had her 2012. It was actually, um, it was like I, I did some heroin before, got pregnant with her, didn't do it while I was pregnant, but I had, an, I had to have an emergency C-section. So what do they give you for that? They give you opiates. So once I got through them, started buying Perk 30s. Once I started doing four or five a day, a friend of mine was like, why do the 30s? Let me just use your car and I'll go pick up heroin from, from Camden. And I was like, all right. Uh, he overdosed at my house. I called the police. My daughter was there. So the cops came. They asked me if I was high. I said no. Clearly I was. Um, then I went to the hospital with my daughter to pick him up a few hours later because I grew up with him. My sister grew up with him. My family grew up with him. We know his parents, and his parents are, I'm like, your parents are going to be so mad if I just leave you at the hospital. I had to come get you, so I went and got him. The nurse reported me to the police. Dyfus shows up the next day at my mom's when I'm over there uh, asking for an instant drug test. I have to accompany them with my daughter in the same vehicle to a drug testing site. I obviously like failed right away, and they took her. They took my daughter when she was like a month and a half, um, and that was the most devastating feeling to this day that I've ever been through. And I still had drugs, so I immediately did them all and, like, passed out in my car. And outside of my mom's, after my whole family just had to deal with the fact that my kid got taken. Uh, so me and my sister got into, got into an actual physical altercation. She was so disappointed in me. And uh, I was just, like, broken. So they had me do, they were like, Look, do outpatient treatment um, for a couple months, and you can get her. You can get her home. So I did that. I stopped doing drugs immediately, but I didn't know. I literally didn't think to know that alcohol would be something that that pops up on a test, especially for like a dive situation. So I continued to drink for the first like six weeks of treatment, and I kept. They're like, "What are you doing? Like, that's a no." Like, you're just, you're prolonging the process of getting her home. So I stopped drinking, too. That was really difficult because I didn't know how to, like, um, I wasn't, like, emotionally prepared to deal with life. My daughter not being with me, counseling when, in all reality, like, I didn't think I needed it still. 
even after my daughter physically got taken by the state. And, uh, you know, it was a lot. But uh, once I got her home to my mom, that's when my addiction full throttle, the worst of it took off. And it was like five years went by in, a, in the blink of an eye. And uh, my rock bottom, it was not all at once. It was throughout the time. It was when I would see my daughter, sometimes she'd call me Danielle because that's what my sister and my mom called me. Um, they spent majority of time with her. I wasn't allowed to be alone with her because I didn't finish going through all my treatment because once she got home to my mom's, that was a green light to do what I wanted to do. She was home with my family, so they should stop giving me a speech now. And uh, it was like the same thing over and over. I'd go a week, two weeks sometimes without seeing her. And then when it would build up to that much time, I'm like, she's better off. Like, all I'm thinking about when I'm there is when can I get a drink or when can I get my next, you know what I mean, my next bag. And it was, it was consuming. I didn't even enjoy being around her because I couldn't do what I needed to not feel like out of it. It was, it was like a vicious cycle. But I knew in the end, like, she's all I, all I want. I don't know, I don't care what I have to do to get, get there. And I did it, but it's like, it was constant. That was my rock bottom, constant. It was my daughter's face, you know? Like, why don't you live here? Why do I live with my mom? And, and you can't tell like a three, four, five-year-old that, so. So she knew, so she knew that you were her mom though. Yeah. Even though she calls you Danielle. She would call me that once in a while, but it still fucking hurt, you know? She, but yeah, she knew. She knew something was up. She's a smart kid. Always has been. And once she got home, I guess like once she was with your mom, you felt like she was just safe. Safe. Mm -hmm. And that kind of was like, I'm good to go. Well, I'm not. I wasn't fit. Even I mean, I wasn't fit to be your mom. She was home with my mom, and I know my mom was very well fit. Like I did what I did because if it was because of myself. It wasn't because of, she was a bad parent. Um, I knew my mom was the best thing for her at the time. And I'm glad it all like worked. It's such a weird feeling, but it, I had to go through all that to be the mom I am today. I mean, I can act, I can honestly say that I think I'm a good mom now, um, but I wasn't ready to be one then. And that actually like, took the fear of having to be a mom to somebody away, knowing like her only being able to go to my mom. I was like, ooh, just took all that off my shoulders. You know what I mean? I could continue just like wrecking my life because I knew how to do that. I didn't know how to be a mom, you know? So you said, and, and when, that came, when that happened, that, you said five years just, just flew by like that. Mm -hmm. So when did the... When did the process of recovery actually start? Like, when did you try to get real serious about it in, in your mind? Um, this last, my last time, I never, I never really did rehab long. If I went in there, I always AMA'd against medical advice. I would do detox throughout the years because it's like, uh, they call it an oil change, you know? You're, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're only getting high. You go to detox because it's good food, 
good bed. You know what I mean? Like uh, normalcy. You get that for a few days, and then you get an itch, and you want to do what you usually do. But uh, I, my bro I went to court in Bordentown, and I was with my dad. It was 2018, and the, the prosecutor addressed me and was like, do you want to get clean? And I was with my dad, so I'm like, sure. You know, and he's like, well, I have a friend of mine runs this program, New Jersey Treatment Incentive Program. He's like, he's a lieutenant. Uh, he runs this program, and, you know, you have a lot of you have a lot of legal stuff that you need to handle, and that's part of what he does while getting you clean. So my brother being home took me to, to meet him for the first time, and uh, I agreed to do it from all the pressure from everybody, but he made it sound, Lieutenant made it sound really nice, like all your legal problems we can help you with. And like it was so overwhelming, and I'm like anybody helping me with this, with this is, regardless of getting clean or not, it's like a bonus. So um, I told him I'd do whatever he wanted me to do. First he sent me out to a Christian rehab in Fort Lauderdale. <sighs> that was the worst, worst experience of my life, okay? I made it for, Made it about, I don't know, two weeks and just bounced. Called my, <laughs> called my dad, was like, I need a plane ticket now. So um, came home and then it was like two weeks of running. And I ended up, I was dating this guy and he ended up breaking my nose from a fight. We were up all night. Um, I knew, he knew I had to leave for rehab the next morning. We were up all night getting high. And I had a little bit of money left over. And he was like, you're gonna leave me some money? And I was like, no, I need cigarettes. I'm going away, like I'm, I'm going away for a while. And we ended up getting into a, 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 like a verbal fight and then he just cl clocked me. I may have hit him first, but he just clocked me square in the nose, cracked my nose open. So I stumbled to the local police station, was like, I need to get to the lieutenant so I can go to rehab. And they're like, yeah, you need rehab. So. They uh, got me a lieutenant, lieutenant got me an Uber to my very last detox. And then did it, I did about like three weeks there and they sent me to long term up North Jersey for six months. And uh, that was somewhere in those six months, they make you go to meetings upon meetings and um, watch recovery videos and talk about your um, feelings and emotions, and that was all foreign to me, and I, I've always hated it. I still hate it to this day. Uh, but it clicked, man. I remember hearing this, this one saying, it was like um, this lady was saying in a video, she was like, you know, I always say I would kill for my kids. I would die for my kids. Everybody says that, but like, I needed to live for my kids. like." That's what I wasn't doing. And like, for some reason, the way she had put it, she may have put it better than what I just said. But that shit hit really hard. I was like, oh my God, that's me. Like I'm, I'm literally killing myself in front of my daughter daily. Like when I do get to see her, you know, but I need to live and like be a mom to her. And uh, that was it. That was like that clicking moment and instead of being there to get all my legal stuff helped with, I was there for me, for the first time ever, with no um, like motive.
which was a strange feeling, but uh, it was a good feeling for sure. What was the most challenging part of, uh, of your recovery? Most challenging. I don't know, man. It was at first, it was, uh, I don't know. I, mine happened so, so like, like a, a fairy tale, to be honest with you. I, I was three days out of, tr you know, treatment. It was like seven months clean, and I met Dan. And, like, I had this whole, like, agenda. I've been at an all-female rehab. Like, I'm not going to date anybody. And, you know, you're not supposed to the first year anyway. And I'm like, well, cool. Like, you know what I mean? I'll just hang out with different people. Like, just figure it out. And I meet, meet Dan, like, three days out. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. So, and then that was our reason... That was like what brought us together. We were both in like fresh in recovery. Um, so we would find a meeting every day to go to together because that would give us a reason to spend time together without saying we want to spend time together, you know what I mean? Um, but he really, he really wanted me to succeed. And it was cool because it wasn't for him. It was for me. Um, he was like the easiest conversation I've ever had. And it was recovery-based, and it was intimate. But I didn't, there was no motive on his side. You know what I mean? Like, he wanted to know me. There was no, I want to get you vulnerable so I can sleep with you. It was, I want to know you. And I never felt that before. Or maybe, it, maybe it's happened, but I, I've never been sober enough to, like, see it for that. And, um... He just made me want to be a better version of myself continuously. And all I could see at the time was, you know, I had to change up my people, places, and things. And he was the start of the new people. And it was really cool. So I'm like, oh, my God, if I could get this one thing down of, like, a new friend, because that's all I saw him as at first, um, then I can work on getting my daughter and and become like, you know, part of society and all that. But like, everything for me happens so fast and it's not normal. Like I was really lucky. Like, it really helped that I found somebody that was in recovery too, that wanted to do, you know, wanted to make it as well. Um, because like, it just took off. Like everything he did for me, like I had to get my license back. I had gotten DUI years ago and just gave up on trying. Um, you know, he would, drive me to work, or he would drive me, I had to go to DUI class, and he, he loaned me the money, and you know what I mean? It was like, he was like, I'm not doing it because I like you, or you're my girlfriend. I'm doing it because somebody did it for me, and that's what we do. So he was a really good, um, just like influence and role model in my life at the time. And then, you know, I was like slowly learning who I was, because I, I never experienced myself sober since before puberty, which was wild. Um, but I did, like, I did everything I was supposed to do, and I didn't know I was doing it. Do you know what I mean? It was easy. Uh, like, I, I shouldn't have the life I have today so soon. Like, I'm only, I'm four and a half years and change clean and sober. 
but it takes people lifetimes to get to where I am. I got really lucky how powerful of a force of a team me and Dan me and Dan are. It's because I wouldn't be where I was, like I am today without him. I'm not saying he's the reason I'm clean, but he's the reason I figured out I wanted to stay clean. You know what I mean? It was so nothing's really it's so weird. It, just doing like the right things just leads me to the next thing. I have so many like they call them gifts of recovery and like my my entire being is like that. And not everybody's is like that. I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop as they say, but nothing's been super hard. It's been scary, but not hard. Do you think meeting Dan made it easier to leave those old friends behind? Did you mention, you know, people, places, and things? Yeah, for sure. He was, um, cause he, he like opened up the world of recovery to me, you know? It was, you know, I was never really a people person, but like recovery, the 12 step programs that you do are like we programs. Like you don't do it alone, you know? Like we, we say that because like you learn how to live from the next person, you know? And uh, he, he just, he helped me figure that out about myself, that like, I do like people, that I am, a, I, you know, I can relate. And uh, like, that's when, you know, I, I opened up with him, but it was, it was more, more, more so like time and a place, you know what I mean? It was very vulnerable at the time, um, but in a good way, you know, he didn't take advantage of anything like that, but he, uh, he definitely helped me just like map out the plan that I wanted and how to actually put it into action. You know what I mean? But if you ask my sister, he's absolutely the reason why I'm clean. That's all she says. It's all Dan. It's not all Dan. <laughs> I'm sure you had something to do with it. Just a little bit, you know? Just a little Just bit. Just a little bit. So now that you've been sober for, you know, going on four and a half years, how has how has life changed? Uh, let's start with with your family. How has life changed with that dynamic? Uh, I am. I'm trustworthy. I people they depend on me. They know they can call me whatever time of the day, and I'll pick up and be reliable for whatever they're asking of me. You know what I mean? Uh, I think my biggest thing. Because my, my mom and dad have always loved me. They were, they're like borderline like enablers because they didn't know where to draw the line of saying no or, you know, still, you know, during all that. But my biggest accomplishment in my eyes is my relationship with my sister. Um, she's always been a phenomenal mom. She started out as a phenomenal aunt because I was the first one to have kids out of all our siblings. Um, but the way that she trusts me and... She tells me, like, I'm a good mom and that, you know, her kids look at me as a second mom and, like, stuff like that. It's, it's a big deal. If you know my sister, it's a huge deal. Um, and she, like, takes me for my word. You know, she trusts me 
around her money, around her kids, her house. Uh, and that goes for like everybody, you know? My dad does for me, he does so much for me on a, like on an everyday basis as far as like, you know, my wedding next month and stuff. It's no, I didn't have to ask twice if he would help. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's wild. It is wild, the difference. It's um, everything I wanted it to be and I didn't know that I wanted, you know what I mean? It's pretty cool. How's your relationship changed with your daughter? I mean, I, I love it. She, she pushes my buttons, man, and she's like 10 going on 16. But uh, it's the little things. It's like uh, when she asks for something, whether it be a sleepover, um, help with something, um, just any, anything on that level, she'll come to me. Like she used to always go to my mom because that's what she knew as her like main caretaker. So that changing, because she's been, she's lived with me for about three years now. Uh, but that diamond, like dynamic change, it's, it still warms my heart. And she's with me every single day, you know what I mean? Um, but when something exciting happens, she calls me and if I'm not with her and, you know, she comes home from school and she's proud of something, it, it's a great feeling when you, you really never saw yourself having that because everything was going fine. Like she was being raised perfectly fine by my mom, but I, you know, I wanted what I have now. And, um, she, she asked me questions, you know, sometimes about growing up and sometimes it's random, dude. It's like, uh, on a car ride from my sister's when I'm picking her up or something. She'll ask me like, cause I, I said to her when I went to rehab the last time, I was in the mommy hospital. She came to see me with my mom and my sister. So she doesn't know it was a drug rehab. And I still don't think she's old enough to exactly like hit that level of honesty. So she'll ask me, you know, like why, you know, why I was there and stuff. And it's, I have to like digest it before I respond. But uh, it's, it's some, it's that relationship. Like I have another daughter too and my God, do I love her. But me and Emma is something special because I lost her for so many years and then I got her back. Like, and I, she was my motivation for everything. Every good thing I've ever done is because of her, regardless of addiction or not. So uh, it's really, it's, it's nice to this day. It's nice for sure. So, what would you, what advice could you give to somebody who's, you know, who's, who's either currently going through this or maybe they have someone that they care about who's going through it? What, what advice could you give them, you know, it may not solve the problem, but can kind of, you know, help them through? For somebody going through it, that it gets so much better. It's scary to change what you know, what you're doing every day and, you know, do something unknown to you, but it's worth it. I have, the memories I have from addiction don't feel like mine. It feels like it belongs to an entirely different person because it's so extremely different. And uh, like advice to somebody with family or, or loved ones going through it is, you know, don't ever stop saying that you love them and that when they're ready, 
you're there and be there for sure. But you can't make somebody get better. They have to want it for themselves just a little bit. You know, I start, I went to my last treatment center for legal problems and my family, but the reason I'm clean is for myself. Like it switched while I was there. When I got serious, it was for me. And that's the only way it works. It's trial and error is something I did so long. And that's, I learned that and they say that. And, you know, it's just the whole, the whole thing is worth it. I wouldn't, I would have loved to, to not hurt my family and, and, you know, do the things that I did. But if it's how it had to happen to have, to get to where I am today, then so be it. I'm good with it. But my advice, honestly, is, you gotta, like, vulnerability is a good thing. It's something that we see as a weakness, but it's really not. It took me so long to realize that. Because if you don't talk about stuff, how are you getting over it or through it? You know what I mean? And that's a, a lot of us are getting high to suppress feeling what we feel from things that happen. You know what I mean? It's unworked territory. Just, I don't know, man. Just do the work. It's so worth it. And it's not, if it's overwhelming, there's people there to help you that have been through it, that are going through it. It's, uh, it's worth it. So now that you're clean and now that you've been sober for a while now, what are you, what are you most excited about for for the future, being that, you know, you're not, like, living day-to-day -day and from high-to-high, high, you know? Uh, right now, I'm excited for softball season. That just started. Dan's coaching Emma's team, and they won, the, they won the championship last year, so I'm, like, really hoping that whole thing happens again. But it's little, it's those little things. Um, like, the day-to-day -day of my kids, like, experiencing, I still love experiencing every moment regardless of how tired it makes me. Uh, excited to get married next month, for sure. Um, I feel like we planned it years ago, but I also feel like it, it's only been a week. It's, uh, it's all coming down to the wire. Um, I'm excited for this job opportunity I was offered. Um, I, like, I work in recovery. I work for the county, um, a county-funded program, getting people help, which is like the most fulfilling thing ever. And um, this new opportunity starts before I get married. And uh, it's wild. I've been in a lot of legal trouble, and now I work with law enforcement. You know what I mean? It's, uh, like I said, a whole different life. <laughs> I've, uh, I've definitely come up as far as that, but um, it's really cool. I, I never saw myself capable of what I'm doing on a day-to-day, -day. but um, I'm doing it, which is nice. For sure, for sure. And looking back over everything, what do you, what's one of the most important lessons that you've learned? 
most important lessons. My most important thing that I, I guess, that I don't, I don't even know if it's recovery related, but it's, I cannot tell you how much I value my family. I put my family, and I don't just mean my immediate family, like my sister, her kids, my mom, my dad, my brother, his kids, like they come first. I don't make plans with anybody outside of my family until I know everybody doesn't need me or they don't, you know, I don't need them. It's wild. We're a very strong um, village for each other. And uh, I would never, you know, there are plenty ample opportunities that I've had to just like go back to my old life and I would never jeopardize anything that I have now for, for the life that I had then, nothing. Um, it's crazy. It's, uh, it's an everyday thing though, a reminder, you know, why I, I don't do that, which is super beneficial to a, you know, an addict. But um, I would say, Do, do, like doing the work. Like you only get out of something what you put into it. And that goes for like every area of my life. So that's like a valuable lesson. You know, you, you have to put the work in to get anything, to get what you want. And that's why I have the life I have. I, I never, as soon as I could, I, I never stopped going for what I wanted. And now, I'm happy, so it's the best I can say. <laughs>